coming into the organizations that I, I did, I felt prepared, but I still felt like something was missing because I didn't have this experience where I finally said, it's not that my experience is less than, it's different but it still has had the same impact on my growth. And that is something that I still carry into some of my coaching today. Don't worry about the race that others are running. You can't run forward if you're looking side to side. Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, Jason Patria here, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for folks just like you who are looking to turn up the volume, show your value, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Well, we are proud to be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month and amplifying the voices of leaders and executives who identify as Latinx. So make sure that you are tuning in every Tuesday through October. October 15th to hear how our guests are making a difference in their industries and the world. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com slash Latinx to hear our full collection celebrating Latinx voices, including the original influencer Perez Hilton, Jackie Hernandez, the CEO and founder of New Majority Ready, and the president of Dow North America, Luis Vega. Now, I am thrilled to have have another amazing leader on the show today. It is Lauren Lopez, who is the Senior Vice President of Talent Management at the New York Times. But before we get to Lauren, let's talk a little bit about promoting yourself. Now, this past week, I had the honor and the privilege of speaking at Comcast's 2022 Military Influencer and Leader Development Symposium, better known as MILDEV in Atlanta. Now, this was an amazing event because Comcast brings together their top employees who are veterans, active military, and military spouses to really network, hear from executives, and develop themselves. I had a chance to talk all about Lead With Your Brand with this amazing group. But one of the big challenges that I heard from this group of military folks was really this notion that promoting yourself is so hard because they've spent so many years in the military really focused on working as a team and not standing out from the crowd. But you know, here's the thing. Promoting yourself is not about being a braggart. No, promoting yourself is knowing that your brand needs to resonate with people all of the time. Now, we know as great marketers that we need to hear a message anywhere from 8 to 15 times before we are even aware. So if you are just talking about what you do, you know, once or twice a year in those formal situations, it's quite simply not enough. Now, I know that it is the most wonderful time of the year because at your company, it's October, which means you are starting to get asked to fill out those self-assessments that go into your end-of-year performance evaluation and conversation. Now, I know you'll get those emails from your HR business partners, and I'm not here to talk about the process. What I am here to say is this is your formal ad. Advertising. Remember, advertising is the message you control. It is what you say about yourself, right? This is your own TV commercial. This is your movie trailer to talk all about why you are an amazing employee driving amazing business results. So don't do what I have done so many times, which is wait to the very last minute to work on that self-assessment piece. 
Remember, your self-assessment is what stays with you throughout your career at an organization. And in many cases, your manager doesn't start writing your evaluation until they have read your self-assessment. So go ahead and anchor them in all of those great things that you have done. And by the way, don't expect that your manager is going to remember everything you've done because quite simply, they've got to evaluate a lot of of employees. But before you even open up that tool, I want you to start putting pen to paper and brainstorming and thinking through three key things. One, I want you to sit down and capture what are you most proud of accomplishing at work in the past year? I want you to open your outlook and go back and look at all of the dates and things that are on your calendar. What are some of the things that you are most proud of accomplishing? Now, hopefully you've also been documenting this either in a Word doc or in Excel throughout the year, but if you haven't, you can always jog your memory by going back through your calendar. I want you to come up with these amazing things that you have accomplished so that you have that list there. Now, remember, your performance is the combination of two things. It is both what you have achieved in terms of results, and it's also the how. So some of your accomplishments are probably around the how you did things, and make sure that you are using the language of your company, which is typically your values or leadership competencies. Now, speaking of those values and leadership competencies, the second thing I want you to start brainstorming and thinking about is what did you learn this year? What are the big ahas? What are the things that you learned to do, whether it's technical or those leadership and professional soft skills that really talk about the how you did things. When you start thinking about what you learned, that is going to help inform your manager about how you are learning and growing all of the time. Now, the third thing I want you to think about is forward-looking. What is it that you need to focus on? Where is it that you need to grow? Where is it that you need to develop for 2023? What is going to help the business? What is going to help build your toolkit of your great talents? And what is going to inspire your passion to help meet the big changing needs that are facing all of our companies today? So take stock of that. Three things, right? What are you most proud of accomplishing? What did you learn? And where do you need to continue to grow in 2023? If you can think through those, you are going to be able to sit down and do that self-assessment in a smart way. And I want you to go back to your word bank of your great brand attribute tailwinds to utilize the language that you describe for your brand and infuse it through that self-evaluation. Well, I've got an amazing guest today. It is Lauren Lopez, who is the Senior Vice President of Talent Management at the New York Times. Now, Lauren is an HR leader who is rooted in the establishment of healthy and productive company cultures with a foundation of all her work starting with an equitable employee experience. From talent acquisition and employee relations to inclusion and talent development, she has 17 years of experience that has allowed her to provide innovative and sustainable workforce solutions to organizations in times of great transformation and change. Now, her career has crossed the technology, financial services, digital media, publishing, and the sports entertainment industry, affording her the opportunity to play the role of servant leader. In fact, in addition to the New York Times, she's worked at amazing companies like Bloomberg, NBC Universal, the NBA, and Condé Nast. Now, she's a huge believer in the power of coaching for the advancement of communities, organizations, and leadership, and her work is directly aligned with her passion for eliminating barriers to entry and growth that continue to exist in today's workplace. Lauren is most fulfilled when she is able to help talent unlock the path to their purpose. We will be back in just a few moments with Lauren Lopez. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. 
He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I have a fabulous guest today. It is Lauren Lopez. Lauren, what is going on? Hello, hello. So happy to be here with you. Well, Lauren, I am so thrilled to have you on. I've been dying to ask you to be on the show uh, for quite some time, so I'm glad that we could connect. I want to dive right in because I know that as an HR and a talent leader, you are constantly meeting folks and introducing yourself to folks. So I want to know, when you first meet people, how do you explain to them who you are and what it is that you do? Oh, I love it. So obviously start with my name. I'm Lauren Lopez. I typically like to start with something more personal because if you want to know about my career, of course, you can stalk me on LinkedIn and find out who I am there. <laughs> um, but uh, I am a mom of two uh, great kids, five and seven. Um, I live up in Westchester with my husband and our rescue dog. I am a true, true believer in kind of breaking down the barriers to entry to careers um, at all levels. I think that we have made major strides in the world of talent and kind of the world of work in general, but I do think there's still so much to do around helping emerging talent understand how to navigate, understanding how to show up and lead with their brand and, and really kind of lean into authenticity, appropriateness, and really kind of understanding how they can bring their best foot forward. Wow, that's so awesome. And Lauren, I know that right now you're the Senior Vice President of Talent Management at the New York Times. So tell me, what are the exciting things that are happening at the Times? Oh my goodness, so much exciting work. I was brought on just about a year ago in August, and it was really to stand up a talent management function that led with a focus on inclusion and really equitable practices around everything from performance uh, enablement to employee success, which is really how we assess talent and then how we meet them where they are. So a great example of that would be, you know, if we are going through our performance cycle and we know that there are individuals who are really need of some additional support, we may meet them um, with a mentorship or coaching opportunity to continue to help them improve. It was really important for us to build out something that felt like it was supportive and more focused support versus remediation. Um, so we've been doing some great work there and we'll continue to do that into 23. Yeah. And when people say or ask you, why should I come work at the New York Times? What do you say? So I would start with, uh, we are a 100 plus year old legacy company who in many cases um, still has the opportunities of a startup world. So you can come, you can build, there's opportunity to impact. The world of news, as you could imagine, is changing day by day. Um, so being able to join a mission-driven company that is tech forward um, is a huge, huge appeal for much of the talent out there these days. Yeah. And so, Lauren, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is you have all of this great advice and insights for people who are looking for careers and looking to grow their career. But I want to talk a little bit about your career because you've had this amazing talent and HR career, but you've really been at some of the top media and, and entertainment type of organizations in the world. So talk to me, how did you even break into sort of this industry and work in the talent management space? I have been wildly fortunate. I can never lose sight of that. I am one of the first in my family to graduate from college, to enter the corporate world um, and take off the way I did. That is not without a lot of hard work. <laughs> and a lot of sleepless nights. Um, so I can't say it was easy, but it has been an absolutely incredible journey. I broke through really uh, starting off at Bloomberg. Um, that was my first role out of school. And Bloomberg was one of those magical places where if you raise your hand to do something, it was yours. So I really was able to kind of give my efforts to everything from talent acquisition to diversity work um, to internal mobility work. And I think that in itself, the internal mobility work was what propelled the rest of the talent piece. So 
really, really understanding the aspirations of, of folks and where they wanted to go and being able to bridge that for them was hugely, hugely rewarding. And it's why I am doing what I'm doing today. Yeah. And so when you think back, you know, across your career, what have been some of the key career breakthrough moments for you? What were some of those kind of inflection points where you felt like you leveled up, you got to the next, you know, place? There are two actually in particular that I think I still carry with me today. One was early on in my career, I I very much had this sentiment of having to follow a particular path, right? So, you know, the folks that I was encountering, um, you know, they studied abroad and they had summers in Europe and they had these incredible internships. And I had a very different experience. I had to work. I worked since the age of 14. I helped provide for a household. I paid for college. And, you know, that was it was just a very different experience. But one that in many respects prepared me um, for the world of work. I had been working for so long. I understood politics. I understood how to navigate, you know, even things just like communication skills, presentation skills, collaboration. Those were things that I had to learn quickly and early on. So coming into the organizations that I, I did, I felt prepared but I still felt like something was missing because I didn't have this experience. And it was, it probably was until about, I would say good five to seven years in where I finally said, it's not that my experience is less than, it's different, but it still has had the same impact on my growth. And that is something that I still carry into some of my coaching today with clients around a real focus on don't worry about the race that others are running. <laughs> Run your own race. <laughs> it's hard not to, right? It is It is very hard, but you can't run forward if you're looking side to side, right? So I think that's really something that people need to carry with them. I think the other piece that was just wildly important was I very much felt the need to drive to results. And it was always like, I have to get it done. You know, I have to make sure that I'm always kind of the first one to, to get the product out there. And what I realized was there's such an importance in really understanding rate of change and the pace in which an organization is ready to go. That is something that at times I still struggle with because I, I really want to get the good work out there as quickly as possible. But you have to listen and you have to really lean in and understand what an organization is ready for. And sometimes even decipher, what do you really want? I'm hearing one thing, but let's go one beat further to understand what's really under that. Yeah. Yeah. And so Lauren, I love that you talked about realizing that your unique experiences were as valid and prepared you for work as much as, as other people's. Talk to me a little bit about that, because I know a lot of folks have these self-limiting beliefs, right? Where, you know, our backgrounds may not be the same as uh, as other folks that seemingly have a leg up. What was that moment or what were some of those moments where you were really able to say, hey, working since I was 14 is equivalent or maybe even prepared me even more than having done a summer abroad? As tactical as this may sound, I would say (laughs) managing budgets for the first time. I was like, oh, Oh, I've done this before, (laughs) you know, managing budgets. I think, you know, coordinating large scale events. I think, you know, having a seat at the table for those first few times wasn't as scary because I was interacting with leadership on smaller scales, you know, in, in other organizations or through college work or things like that. So I felt a little bit more confident in how I showed up in those spaces, but that was still being met with that that nagging feeling in back of me saying, maybe it's not good enough. So it wasn't that it was different. I was still kind of computing it as it's not good enough because it's not the norm around me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not the norm. I also love that you talked about sort of slowing down and and listening to your internal clients and listening to what's going on in organizations. And I know that you are a go-getter, clearly. What were some of those experiences that you've had in your career where you really learned, hey, I need to slow down and pause and really listen to what's going on? How did you learn to hone that skill? Sure. You know, one of of the... uh... I think gifts within my career, and this is actually throughout probably every organization I have joined, 
at my point of entry, they were all going through some form of transformation. So whether it was we're moving to digital and, you know, there's a huge focus there or restructuring activity or whatever it was, um, there was always this opportunity to kind of come in and listen and understand what the future state should or could look like. And I think there's so much opportunity in that that you can sometimes forget that there are some key things that you want to get through, right? Those low hanging fruit or those quick wins that really get the buy-in going. So, you know, an example would definitely be, you know, when you think about transforming culture and really the long game that, that, uh, that ensues, one of the things that has been hugely important to me is we can get caught up and I have done this. I've gotten caught up in what could be, and I actually was moving away from what can be now, mm. right? So there's there's absolute opportunity down the road to be more inclusive, to create more programming, to create more experiences, to root people to. But what is the more immediate need in this point that is going to create impact? Um, you also don't want to overwhelm people. I think it's a very easy way for people to just kind of turn off and walk away from whatever your initiative is. Mm. Yeah. And, and so how do you stop people from being turned off and walking away? I think they have to hear the value proposition, right? So the what's in it for me is always going to be important. You only get that from active listening. You know, it's often the case where folks who are in a COE, you know, or a specialist role, you're brought in to solve. So the expectation is I can deliver whatever my expertise, you know, determines is, is the right solve. And that is not always the case. I think there are organizations who absolutely want that and want you to come in and say, give me what you got. We're going to roll with it. <laughs> and I think there are other organizations who, you know, want the expertise, but want you to take that expertise, listen and craft to the need. So it will always depend on the readiness of the organization. I think the willingness of your leaders so, Lauren, I know you talked a little bit about your background, but tell me, let's go back to your childhood. When you were a kid, what is it that you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, so many things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I am uh, I am a New Yorkan. My parents were born in, in New York, um, but we hail from Puerto Rico. And growing up in a Puerto Rican household, you are, interestingly enough, brought into many options of career. My folks were really kind of set on have the job that creates stability, right? And make sure that, you know, it's something that you can do long term. I respected that and, and fully respect people who, who make that decision because I think, you know, what works for folks, you know, is what works for them. But I was one who really wanted to kind of test the waters, right? Do the things that we had not, you know, seen within our, within our world. So I really, really at one point uh, thought I was going to be a nurse. I had a, a real affinity to pediatric nursing. I love children and I really thought it would be an incredible career. You know, and, and life has an interesting way of kind of moving you to your passion. You know, nursing was something that as much as I wanted to do it, I actually couldn't afford to because it meant that I would have to not work to, to pay for school because I would have to be in practicals all the time. So that then pushed me into potential education, um, which Interestingly enough, I have somewhat made a career in learning, right, and talent management. So um, education was definitely something that was still front of mind. And I once spoke to a career advisor and I said, you know, I have all these social science credits from my nursing degree that I won't be able to move forward with. You know, what do I do with this? And she was like, have you ever thought about HR? I said, no, of course not. <laughs> I don't know if anyone actually, you know, wakes up one day and says, HR, is it for me? But you know, <laughs> the more we talked and, and the more we made connections, it, it sounded really interesting. I pursued a, a degree in psychology and master's work in HR. And slowly but surely, it, it all landed. It all came together. But I will tell you, it, not in my wildest dreams would I have thought this is where I ended up. I really thought that I would probably be teaching. And I do think that at some point, you know, once I retire, I would love to teach um, in New York City public schools. Wow. I think there is such a need to have folks who have had different career experience come in and expose students to 
the world of what is possible. Because I think too often kids that grew up like me, you know, didn't have a whole lot, don't necessarily know what's out there for them. And I would love to be someone who can show them that I was just like you and, you know, I was able to achieve and there, there is a way to do it. Yeah. So Lauren, talk to me a little bit about your brand as an executive and a leader. Give me three words that you would use to describe brand Lauren Lopez. Ooh, um, I would absolutely say that the role I play as roles I play as a leader are coach, enabler. I would also say kind of (laughs) there is a protective side. So that's servant leadership. You know, at this point in career, my direct reports are are senior. They're folks who have had incredible careers. Um, They are leaders within their own right. They have their own teams. So it's less about what I can do for them day to day, more so how I enable them, right? What what am I doing to ensure that they can be successful? What roadblocks am I moving out of their way? And how am I challenging them? You know, I one rule that I have with the team and, and we always, you know, have a good chuckle about it is I, I, I want to make sure that if you're bringing a problem, you're also bringing a potential solution. And it's, and it's important because I think it challenges them to kind of think broadly, but then it also empowers them to be the one who drives it home. Um, so they, they don't feel the need to kind of have me at the helm for, for each and every uh, situation. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love this notion of being a coach, being an enabler, and then this protective servant leader. Tell me a little bit about that protection piece. Yeah, it's critically important. I think, you know, especially in the moment that we're in now, we have return to work still kind of out there happening, the uncertainty around hybrid. I think the last three years have been difficult for everyone. And we are changed, whether we realize it or not. We're coming into the organization or coming back to the organizations feeling different things. We've experienced um, three years of a lot of unrest in various ways. And there is such a need to lead with the human aspect first these days so that folks do feel safe and feel engaged and feel supported while they are wrestling with the things that are happening in the background and still showing up every day to do the job. So I absolutely feel a obligation to make sure that I am there for them in whatever way that is, whether it's, you know, humility, whether it's support, whether it's, hey, I, you know, something's going on with my family, family first, go do what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, Lauren, that that you kind of come full circle because these sort of brand attributes are ones that we would think of really in a great nurse. Right. When you go back and, and, and think, of, <laughs> think about one of those original things you wanted to do. So tell me, Lauren, has has this sort of always been your brand, this kind of coach, enabler, protective servant leader, or how has it evolved over your career? I would argue that it's probably been my brand um, for as long as I could remember. You know, one thing that I pride myself on is Lauren is Lauren in the office as she is at home, as she is with friends. And that's hugely important to me. I am not a believer in the code switch. I don't think it's necessary. I think I have worked hard to earn the spots that I have been been given and the growth that I have been afforded. And I think that's, you know, something that I carry with me as important. So I don't feel the need to show up differently. Yeah. My my focus will always be showing up respectfully, making sure to the points you're making that I am people first and human centered. You know, I think the cooching and the enablement piece really does come from being a big sister um, and, and being one of the old, oldest in the family. You know, there was always this need to kind of pump my folks up and make sure that they felt that they were supported or that I believed in them because, you know, I wanted to be able to see the success that I was being afforded through them as well. Yeah. Yeah, and you talked, learn a little bit about this notion of of not feeling the need to code switch. Were there times earlier in your career where you really felt that you had to? Oh my God, yes. You know, even now I wear my curly hair, I have my hoop earrings, I wear red <laughs> lipstick. Um, would have never done that early on. And it is such a shame to even have to say that out loud, but it was the reality. You know, I think 
the workplace for better or worse, you know, depends on who you are, has has transitioned in a way where folks are more comfortable to be themselves. And I I love it. I think, you know, it is really beautiful thing to see difference and see it in the way people physically show up, the way they speak, you know, the different point of views that they are, are bringing to the table. But yeah, absolutely early on in career, uh, I remember, you know, straightening my hair for interviews because, you know, I thought that would help my chances. Um, I would never wear hoop earrings. I threw on pearls where I think now, who, why would I wear pearls? Um, <laughs> You're like, why would I own pearls? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so it's it, it definitely has been an evolution, but wow, is does it feel so good to come to come into yourself, right? And, and really yeah. feel like this is me unfiltered and, you know, I'm here to do a great job, take it or leave it. That's, that's kind of where we are. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, Lauren, is because you are this amazing coach and enabler. Talk to me for people who are looking for jobs right now or looking for career development and they're they're reading all of the headlines and they're hearing like, oh my gosh, we could be going into a recession. Corporations could be cutting back. What's kind of your best advice for people who are in the job hunting, you know, game right now? I would definitely encourage them not to put too much stock into the headlines. You know, we've, we've been around long enough to know this is cyclical. You know, we'll have these dips and then we're, you know, back into a stronger economy. So I, I would not put so much stock in it. What I would say is for folks who are out there who are seeking employment now, who've had a rough go, because I, I definitely see the stories all, all over LinkedIn, um, this is the time to invest in yourself. So take the energy that you would in, you know, reading the headlines and, and, you know, circling around that and focus on the things that can get you closer to the goal. So keep applying to the jobs, keep having the conversations, take the coffee chats, but you know what, maybe learn a new skill. There are so many great platforms these days that offer free skill building courses do it. You never know what that could lead to. Um, the networking events, now that the world has opened up again, um, <laughs> finally, I, finally um, I cannot stress the importance of being able to see people eye to eye, make the connections, allow them to remember you. It is incredible what, what that can open up. And I think the third piece about it is read, read, Get yourself out there in terms of learning new concepts, understanding deeper pieces of the craft that you are focused on. Um, it, one, prepares you for your interviews. Um, it allows you to be a stronger subject matter expert. And I think it does keep you fresh, right? You're, you're learning trends and you're kind of staying current with whatever you know your particular specialty is. Yeah. And and talk to me about sort of just interviewing as a candidate or showing up in terms of applying, because I think people really get the notion of, of how their professional brand shows up when they interact with people, right? And they have a longer relationship. But what are the things or the, the recommendations you have for people to really let their unique brand shine through in the application process and then the interview process? Mm. For the application process, you know, it's tough. Uh, I think, you know, with the introduction of AI and the technology within ATS systems, it has become a bit more difficult to differentiate yourself um, through the yeah. application. That's why, you know, talking about the relationship piece, that is so important. If you can make an impression with an individual, it, it is helpful. Now, if you get through the application process and you're moved to an interview, you know, the one thing I have always realized within my own processes, the candidates that do best in the interview are the ones who are confident in their subject matter expertise and take the interview as a conversation because they're less focused on getting the answer right or staying aligned to a particular set of questions. And they're more focused on having a conversation that demonstrates the examples of their work. They can give you scenarios. They can really go deeper on, you know, things that you may want to understand because we all know soft skills are really, really hard to quantify in an interview. So the more you can give me about painting the picture of your day to day, walk me through the challenges, walk me through the time that you made a mistake and you were able to recover. And how did that feel? And what did that look like? 
Those are the types of conversations that I think leaders walk away with and say, yeah, that's the person because I have a really good picture of what they would look like when they're here within our walls. Yeah. And talk to me a little bit about uh, about networking, right? Because, you know, we, we've, we're all kind of popping back out into these in-person events again, and we're all a little bit rusty. You talked about, you know, making great impressions and following up with people. What is what is it the line for you or what are some of the things you've seen people do really effectively at these networking events to show up and follow up and not kind of cross over that line where people become stalkers and you're like, why is this person bothering me? <laughs> <laughs> so I often tell people you want to approach networking as you would at a party that you were invited to by a friend right? It shouldn't feel scary. These are humans who are probably just as nervous as you being there, sweaty, they have sweaty <laughs> palms. They, you know, they don't know how to broker the intro. So everyone is likely having the same anxiety. So it's really about what can set you apart. And what I find is folks tend to miss the opportunity to research before they go to these events. So if you can have an access to an attendee list or you somehow or another can determine who's going to be there in advance. Do a quick research. Are there folks who went to your same school? Do you have connections that are, you know, that are shared connections? Is there work that the individual did or, you know, an affiliation that they have that actually is aligned to a particular passion of yours? Those are those connection points. People love to talk about themselves, especially when it's things that they enjoy, right? You know, listen, you're an avid biker, you're an avid runner. So am I. And that, there, boom, it's just that simple. Um, I think people tend to put too much stock into what they need to do or how they need to show up. And they're forgetting that it's just a human interaction. Like make it, make it such. Um, the other thing I would say, and this is a big one specifically with LinkedIn, is we all get kind of those cold connections and then nothing happens. The person wants to connect <laughs> and they, you know, it's, there has to be a give and take there. So I always tell folks, if you want to connect and there's a particular purpose, make state the purpose, but then also make an offer. What can I offer you? Here's what I do well. Here are the things that I care about. We might have a connection there and just drop that as well. Yeah. So I love like really the thing here is it, it's not just about having some fabulous outfit, right? It's like we've got to show <laughs> up and be great. You, you, we have to be great conversationalists, right? And we have to put, right. put other people at, at ease. And I love this whole notion of if you're going to reach out to someone on LinkedIn, right? Like you've got to add value, right? Exactly right. You know, it, it's funny. I think when folks, let's say you get invited to a party, sometimes the instinct is I'm going to look at the guest list on the evite, right? I want to know <laughs> yeah. who else is going to be there. Exactly. Bring that into your networking. Who's going to be there? What do they offer? What are they doing that's cool or important or I'm interested in? Yeah, such great advice. Lauren, I have to get your your thoughts on on this other thing we've been reading about, you know, quiet quitting. So, <laughs> so, so, so help us understand. And I've read so many great articles in the, in the, in the times about this, this trend from your perspective, what is quiet quitting? Is it really happening? But more importantly, how can that impact someone's career if you make that choice? So I'm torn on this one. I don't want to diminish folks or, or leaders who believe they're seeing this phenomenon in their organizations. Um, I can't speak for what I don't see. But what I will say is, I think there's a missing component to the conversation around, is this quiet quitting or are people exhausted? We have worked more. Um, I, I would arguably say folks have worked more while we have been in a remote setting because you no longer have your commute. You no longer have the need to really take time to get ready. So what has happened is that time for many people have, has been filled with additional meetings. What used to take, you know, a walk down the hall and a two second agreement on something is now we need to get a room. We need to schedule a meeting. Right. And that can take hours to get on the calendar, if sometimes even days. So I think this quiet quitting phenomenon is really a point of employees being tired. They have they have really been, you know, um, working arguably more hours. They are juggling probably a lot more because, you know, if you have kids or, or elder care, especially in the throes of COVID, you are juggling a whole lot more than your usual day. 
So this is the output of that. I also think there's a phenomenon, um, and this was, you know, kind of part of the great resignation around folks had a moment to be introspective and say, what do I care about and what do I really want in my career? And I think they're still reckoning that reckoning with that. And now they're reckoning with that while they're back in the office. So there's there are decision points that they have to make. What I would say is truly important here is you cannot underestimate the need for leaders to have feedback conversations or just check-ins early and often, because more and more you will see that the frequent or continuous feedback, the even just the casual, hey, checking in, notice you seem a bit off, what's going on, that signals to folks that you care. You actually noticed and you care, and you might be willing to figure this out with me. That's where the coaching piece comes into play. I think, you know, it is so important for leaders to have that almost sixth sense and understand early when something's going on, how they can help rectify if they can, and if not, just be the supportive arm. So Lauren, right, I love this whole notion that like managers need to be on the lookout and and not fall into this trap of just like labeling someone as a quiet quitter. But we know that that happens. So what advice do you have for employees out there, right? If you are exhausted, if you are in this stage of kind of reevaluating and you feel you might be being labeled as a quiet quitter or showing up in a way that someone might think that that's going on. What advice do you have for them to manage up and to have some conversations here, even if their manager's not doing it? A lion's share of organizations over the next few weeks um, will be going into their year-end processes um, as as we all kind of wind down 22, which is really crazy to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, I do think there is such an opportunity before folks go into whatever their normal review cycle is. Or if not, um, really just your one-on-ones, whatever your established meeting norms are, to just have a frank conversation. And does that mean that I have to spill the tea on everything that's happening in my life? Absolutely (laughs) not. But you know what? Frame it in the world of work. Yeah. I am struggling with X, and I believe it's going to have an impact on Y. I need your help to think through how I can either remediate or maybe I need to step away. Maybe we need to figure out another uh, person to bring into this work for support, whatever the solve may be, right? Obviously problems will, will take different shapes for different people. But I do think that we cannot underestimate the need to have one, employees feel comfortable to advocate or raise the alarm if something's going on with them, because the sooner we have those conversations, the sooner we're getting them to a place where they are performing and where they do feel more confident in their work. Yeah, and I love that you brought up that we are in that, you know, the the most exciting time of the year when we all do our <laughs> self-assessments and as leaders and managers, we're we're doing assessments on our, our on our folks. There's always this whole notion that I feel people wait to the last minute, right? They're like trying to yes. hit the button before midnight on the final <laughs> day of the performance management cycle closes. <laughs> Talk to me as someone that really architects these type of systems and you've coached people through this. What is it that people should really be thinking about when they are doing these self-assessments and then having these conversations with their managers? Hmm. Um, So one, I just want to start with a big shout out to my HR and people managers who are going to be going through the process because you are right. This is the most (laughs) wonderful time of the year. So kudos to them um, for all their hard work. As it relates to employees first. I think it's wildly important for employees to really take their self-assessment seriously. Um, I think we often beat ourselves up about the things that we aren't doing and we don't actually take note of the things we've accomplished. So I would absolutely, absolutely impress upon employees, your individual contributors, whoever you are, to make small notes throughout the year in the back of a notebook you know, on your computer, shoot an email to yourself or running email to yourself, just logging the accomplishments, the projects, the the great wins you had with a particular client, whatever it may be, it all matters, right? It's really the full body of work for that year. I think the other piece of it is 
if there are areas of opportunity, don't be afraid to write, put them in the review, because I do think it is so powerful to be self-aware and say, here are the areas where I know that I can do better, and here's how I'd like to approach them next year. One, that's a great way to start a conversation around goals and how you want to focus your year. I think it gives the in for the manager to really feel like it's a two-way conversation and they're not just speaking at you, telling you all the things you need to do better on. And I also think oftentimes managers can't be everywhere, so they may not have the full view. So being able to say, hey, here's the full list. And maybe we want to have a conversation prior, right, before you write my review so you have a good understanding. I think that's important as well. Ooh, I love that. It's really all about that that managing up piece. And I love that you kind of pinpoint, we just assume that our managers and our leadership sees everything we do when the reality is, is, is there's no possible way they could. So if we're not going to, if we're not going to showcase that, we can't expect other people to. Exactly right. You know, even if there's an opportunity to solicit feedback from peers, colleagues, cross-functional partners, do it. It gives you a more well-rounded view of yourself. And I, I personally think it signals to the manager that you're very serious about your own development. Now, Lauren, we have a couple of fun closeout questions for you. We sure. were talking about your brand as a leader. What brand are you obsessed with as a consumer? What What can't you live without? <sighs> Hmm, this is so sad. But being a mom, my lifesaver right now are two things HelloFresh and Instacart. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you Surrounding, love them? It, you know, it. so two things. One, HelloFresh has been really interesting because I don't really have to think about what we're cooking every night, but it really has brought the family together. The kids love it. We cook together. And as a working mom, my time with them is limited. So I really had to be deliberate about, you know, quality over quantity. And oftentimes that might be, you know what, we spent 30 minutes cooking a meal and then we sat together and ate it. And that is just a huge highlight of the day. Instacart, quite frankly, just for the sake <laughs> of ease, right? I, I'm not having to worry about, you know, spending free time on the weekends going to supermarkets anymore. I can, you know, again, give that time back to the kids or read or do the things that I, I really prefer to do with my free time. Yeah. And I love this whole interesting notion is like, I would have never thought of HelloFresh as being able to create an experience of your family cooking oh, yeah. together, but that's like really the the output, right? Or the impact. That's right. That's exactly right. And we, you know, healthy meals for the most part. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Always good, right? Now, Lauren, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? Ooh, so little known fact, I am such a New Yorker that I don't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a city kid at heart so I can drive I am not licensed to drive um, <laughs> you know I, I'm gonna this is another mom answer but I love roomy cars and I have always had a thing for minivans so Ooh. I really want like a tricked out minivan <laughs> <laughs> and why are you like one of those tricked out minivans room for everyone so I could bring everyone along that's a good question I don't know I just like the minivan. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a great answer. And finally, Lauren, what's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? You know, I, I think I'll touch on what I said up front because it, it was definitely pivotal for me. And I think people who have a similar upbringing, it would be important for them. I cannot underestimate the running your own race. We can get so, so caught up in feeling the need to match or mirror the progress of others. And I think it starts to diminish what is unique and special about us and what we bring to the table. If we wanted, you know, everyone to show up the same way, um, it'd be a really, really boring place. Um, so I, I, I do think it is wildly important for people to be aware of who they are, kind of lean into what their experience has been and not be ashamed of the paths that they have had, whether they're alternative or not, you know, quote unquote alternative. I think it's really important to understand the uniqueness that folks bring and really be able to take that and run with it. And again, not look left and right, but run your race. Yeah. 
Well, great advice. Lauren Lopez, thank you so much for being on the show. And let me ask you, if our listeners are interested in careers at the New York Times, how should they find out more? They should definitely go out to our career site. They can also reach out to me directly. I um, receive reach outs all the time and I try my best to reach out back to folks or at least connect them to the right people. Awesome. Well, it was great reconnecting, Lauren. Thank you so much. Same here. Thank you. And we'll be back in a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. And we are back. What an amazing conversation with Lauren Lopez, the SVP of Talent Management at the New York Times. You know, the great thing about having Lauren on is that she has all of this advice, tips, tricks, and insights to help us, whether we are an employee trying to navigate our careers and our brands through these difficult times, or you are a leader and a manager trying to support your team. But what really stood out for me in Lauren's conversation was this whole notion of making sure that you're running your own race. You don't have to be in competition with everybody. And in fact, when you're spending so much time looking behind and looking to the side, you aren't looking forward at your own career strategy. Remember, what makes you unique and different is you and those authentic things and experiences that you bring to the table. So stop being fearful of being different and not fitting in, and instead focus on how you can make your unique qualities your calling card for your professional brand and your next career breakthrough. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved what you heard, make sure you are following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure that you are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month by visiting leadwithyourbrand.com slash Latinx, where you can hear our full collection of amazing leaders and influencers who identify as Latinx. Now, check me out on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms, and I share tons of tips and tricks on LinkedIn. Now, most importantly, in your career, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure you are a super premium brand like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.